Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Today with me on Everyday Theology, it's a real pleasure to have a a guest back. And that guest is Shane Claiborne. So thanks so much for being with me, Shane. Yeah, man. Here we go. Round two or three. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We can make it round three in the future. Um, But definitely round two right now. And we're going to have an interesting conversation on gun control. Um, just for listeners, if you want to hear more about Shane and his background and his story, I'd encourage you to go to uh, season one and listen to our podcast where we talked about the death penalty. And you can get more information about Shane and all the great work that he's doing and why he's become such a voice in these topics for Christians today. But Shane, I want to just kind of dive right in because this is such a hot topic Um and for some reason, anytime I say the word hot topic, I think of that store in the mall, yes, which scares me. That's where I bought my oh, Rage Against the Machine shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I was a good Christian kid. I wasn't allowed in that store. Yeah, no, I had to sneak out to get in there at the mall, the old mall. Remember malls? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to, actually. <laughs> Got my hurt my ear pierced at Claire's Boutique or something like that. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, that's that's funny. I did too. Um, that's a dark part of history for me, really, because I had yeah. a cartilage piercing, which was a really weird time of life. Oh man, I had that too in the top part of your ear. That's a terrible idea, man. It was terrible, and it looked terrible, and I, I think that all <laughs> pictures of it have been destroyed, thankfully. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, hot topic. To, let's get back to guns, yeah. man. Jeez, bring it hot back. topic, gun control. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, my first question for you on gun control really is a personal question. Why did the topic of talking about gun control, the need for it, as you've uh, expressed, why did it become such a topic for you in your life? Yeah, so I, I think the backdrop is important on this one that I gr- I grew up with guns. I grew up hunting. I mean, I, I got so many memories of uh, being with my my grandfather and going hunting in you know Tennessee and um, and then you know when I moved to Philadelphia, I think especially I began to see uh, the, the the actual tragedy of gun violence in America. I mean, almost every corner of our neighborhood, we've got memorials to the, and the collective memory of the lives that were tragically lost there. So, um, 
you know, I heard a neighbor, uh, one of the kids in, in my neighborhood say, why do we have so many gun shops when there aren't that many deer to hunt? <laughs> you know, yeah. Thought, yeah. You know, like depending on where we live, like this issue is a, a very different conversation. But uh, what I began to see is that, you know, I, I talked a lot about being pro-life as I was growing up. Um, and yet we had almost singularly focused that on one issue on abortion, you know, and right. when, I, when I began to look outside of that, um, even in my own life, I mean, I was for the death penalty, you know, I owned guns. And so I, I started looking at this and reading the things that Jesus said, and, and it, it challenged a lot of those assumptions. And so I, you know, I think it's a, the, the irony is that you, in, in America, you can be pro guns, pro death penalty, pro military, uh, and still say you're pro life. <laughs> you know, as long as you, you got abortion rights, we, we'd be more accurate to say you know pro birth or uh, uh, right. anti abortion. So I, you know, I wanted a bigger ethic of life that um, that that honors. Um, the lives that are lost and in in the you know urgency of some of these other issues and and as I started researching guns and reading everything I could, um, I I began to see that we I mean we have have got this unique fetish and fascination with guns that is unlike mm. anything anywhere else in the world. And just a, just a little backdrop. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to talk a lot of stats, but we've got about 5% of the global population, but we have almost half of the world's guns. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely insane. Five, Without a doubt, that's insane. Five times more gun dealers than McDonald's restaurants. I mean, they, they just oh, wow. I mean, I, you almost have to sit with each one of these, you know, and, and yeah, um, and we produce more guns. We manufacture nine and a half million guns a year in the U.S. So it's 26,000 guns a day. That's one gun every three seconds. So, you know, and, I, and I, it's I, like my iPhone that goes, you know, bad after two years. Right. <laughs> right. Like, right. It stays around for much longer. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, but, you know, and you think of that, like, what, what happens to a country? that has more guns than people. And, and what we see is that we lead the industrialized world like overwhelmingly in gun deaths. Not only do we have the most guns, but we've, we've got the most gun deaths by far, um, about 100 lives a, a day that are lost to guns, over 30,000 you know, lives a year that are lost to guns. And so in my lifetime, and I don't know how, you, how old you are, bro, but I'll just give my, my age away. In my, my 40 plus years, um, we've lost more lives to guns domestically than in all of the wars in American history combined. That's insane. Yeah, so I mean, this is why it got on my radar, man, and and and, but not yeah. just because of the violence thing, but because of the marriage uh, to 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 Christianity that God and guns, they you know they go together like Oreos and milk for a lot of us, and for me that was true too. And you see that like, holy cow, like Christians are the highest gun owning demographic in America. <laughs> You know, I started looking at that. I'm like, wait, the people who worship the Prince of Peace on Sunday are packing heat on Monday, right? Like we're we're literally carrying a cross in one hand and a Glock in the other, you know. And so, like, how do how do we reconcile that? So that's where I, you know, I, I really went into 
uh, this book, uh, Beating Guns. And as you know, I did a book on the death penalty too, because Christians are the highest demographic supporting the death penalty. But, you know, when it comes to guns, I think there's so many deep spiritual questions that are raised. Um, uh, what, what does it, you know, I think when it comes to this idea of, what we put our hope in, you know, for protection, for deliverance, all the kind of promises of a gun, they, it does begin to turn into a sort of idolatry, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, so anyway, that's, you know, we'll, we'll, th- those are the things that, you know, kind of initially got my attention on this. And, and I, you know, I'm really clear in the book that I think the, the problem is not um, gun owners, it's gun extremists and it's gun profiteers, the companies that are, uh, you know, profiting from the right. sale of weapons. Cause we're not, we're not talking about a, you know, um, a few guns where, you know, or, or someone owning a hunting rifle, we're talking about a group of, 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 uh, you know, uh, two thirds of Americans live without guns, two thirds. So a third of Americans have guns and there's a few people that have almost half the guns, 3% of our population. So like that, that's like 20 guns. That's crazy. Each, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know. and it's, it's good to kind of start, I think with this recognition that, you know, we're not talking about the problem of people, Although, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about kind of the extremists, as you call them. But, um, you know, similarly, I I grew up with guns. I grew up in the middle of the woods. Like having a hunting rifle was like a, I don't know, you just had to do it, I guess. Yeah. You just had to have one. And so I grew up in uh, with guns in the house and around guns and shooting guns and, and, you know, honestly, as a kid, enjoyed it. Right. I enjoyed going out into the woods and having target practice with my dad and, and, you know, just having that experience. But I think it's really good to qualify that when we have these conversations, we're, we're talking about kind of the, the bigger problem, not specific people, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, like these stats that you've been giving about how many there are and how many some people have, like, I couldn't imagine personally having, you know, more than the hunting rifle I had when I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of this, this conversation becomes very reasonable when you talk to folks that are, um, your average American, your average Christian, you know, but when we get to the pole, like the, the polarized politics, it gets a lot crazier, but, um, I mean, 80%, of gun owners want to see some, some significant changes when it comes to policies on guns. So that's really important. Mm. You know, like yeah. um, that I, I was on a march with a, a, a group of hunters and they had shirts on that said, we are hunters against assault weapons. And they said, because you don't need 10 rounds to shoot a deer. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. So there's, there's folks that are going like, okay, there are some guns, right? Like that, that, uh, AR-15s, you know, uh, semi-automatic uh, weapons that are designed to kill as many people as possible as quickly as possible. And that's exactly what they keep getting used for, you know, as a weapon of choice in so many mass shootings. Yeah. These, are, these are war weapons or military-style weapons that are on our streets. So, you know, when the Second Amendment was written, I, I think it's important to look at these, the, the, you know, these documents that our country's founded on and to also look at, you know, 
what has happened since we wrote those. And, you know, when the Second Amendment was written, guns shot one round, maybe two rounds in a minute. And now they can shoot 100 rounds in a minute. So, you know, yeah. that, that this is a, this is a big deal. And I think those of us that that would say we're for life, that we care about life, that we believe that every person is made in the image of God. Um, this this should really matter to us. The gun gun it, violence is the second leading cause of death of our young people, and it's number one for African American kids. Um, it's and, it's yeah. interesting that you know you kind of bring up the Constitution and our amendments um, because I think there are so many. I mean, the stats, the Constitution. There are so many arguments, right? Like. There's the argument of, well, we can't change the Constitution. Well, actually, we can. They're called amendments, and that's why they're <laughs> called amendments. We're amending the original document to include something or to clarify something, right? Yeah. To to interpret it in a way. And there's rules in the Constitution for amending it, right? Like with the, with the yeah. gun stats, we talk about kind of the reality of, yeah, there's a lot of facts and figures. And I think what you brought up has been have been very good. But, you know, we see people who will argue with other facts and figures, though, you know, the funny thing about facts and figures is it's about interpreting the facts and figures, right? So you can make them say a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. And as we've seen maybe in our world today, alternate facts are sometimes more powerful than true facts. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what makes it a really and this is a question more is just what makes it really the Christian issue? Like if we kind of like strip away the facts and the figures and, you know, the constitution, which I think are all really good conversations to have, but what at the heart of it, what makes it really the Christian issue that we have to, to talk about? Cause I think maybe that's the only way to really help Christians who are the biggest, the largest population of gun owning Americans to really start to think differently. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and then ultimately, this is why uh, it matters so much to me is as I don't just think this is a political issue. I think it's a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. Um, as, as we think of, you know, as I talk about gun violence with folks, there are people who um, often will say, well, this, you know, it's not a gun problem. It's a heart problem. And I yeah. always say to them, sure, why, why can't it be both? You know, like it, it, it is a heart problem and a gun problem and God changes yeah. hearts and people change laws. You know, we've, we've done that. So, you know, like racism, that, that it's a heart problem and a policy problem. So we need right. like, no law can change a racist heart. Martin Luther King knew that. You know, he said, no law can make you love me, but it can keep you from killing me. <laughs> you mm, know? So, yeah, so, yeah. So we, we need God to change hearts, but we need to rethink, you know, some of our laws and policies. And, and the reason that this is spiritual is because um, we worship the Prince of Peace. You know, we worship the one who said, love your enemies. And I really believe when he said that he meant we shouldn't kill them. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. to follow Jesus um, is, is to follow the one that said, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. And he, um, you know, absorbs the violence of the world. He suffers violence in order to subvert it, you know, to teach us how to transcend violence by our love and by our nonviolence. And uh, I, I, you know, I think of one of the, the, just essential stories in the gospel when it comes to this is when uh, Jesus' own disciple, Peter, 
uh, picks up a weapon to protect him. And in, in this scene, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, you know, who has heard the Sermon on the Mount, who's walked with Jesus for three years, you know, like he instinctively picks up a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus's response is stunning. Jesus scolds yeah. Peter and says, enough, put that away. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. You know, that's not how we do this. And, and then he picks up the ear of the man that Peter injured and heals him. And the early Christians said this, Tertullian and so many of the great thinkers of the early church, they said, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed every one of us. If ever mm. there was a case... Yeah for trying to use violence to protect the innocent. I mean, Peter had the strongest case in the world, but you start to see that like the gospel of Jesus turned the other cheek. You know, it flies in the, pa- the, the face of stand your ground, you know, and the gospel of the NRA. And I do think that it's, you know, what we're talking about are spiritual forces. I mean, uh, Warren Cassidy, the former head of the National Rifle Association said, you'll get a better understanding if you approach the NRA as if you were approaching one of the great religions of the world. Wow. Like when we talk about idolatry, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's that old scripture, you know, uh, we shouldn't put our trust in chariots and horses and, you know, our guns and, and, and tanks and bombs. Like, like we, we actually believe uh, that our hope is in God. So I think it has everything to do with, you know, it's really funny too. I've, I've pointed out the irony that right now, you know, in the pandemic, there are a lot of folks that say we don't need a mask you know, we don't need to wear a mask. God will protect us. But they still feel like they need a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's some holes in that theology, right? And that, that's what we—that's what this just is a about. little, <laughs> just a little hole. And, and that's, you know, that that kind of brings up that point that a lot of times these kind of like theological arguments aren't actually theological. They're just arguments that are based on what we desire or what we want. Yeah. Right. Like. I just don't want to wear a mask. I just want to have my gun. I just, I don't want to have to love my enemy, which is ironic for me, the love your enemy uh, passage, because so many people who, you know, don't necessarily take that literally to the point of recognizing what loving your enemy is are the same ones who would take, who would say something like you have to take the Bible literally. Right. Except for that verse, right? Like don't literally say love your enemy, just figuratively say it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it sounds like a nice ideal, but we can't do it. Right. Like, well, you can actually, that's why Jesus said, love your enemy because he's, it's a command do this, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do. And I mean, to your estimation, you know, in the, when the work that you've been doing, how are we going to see change happen within our Christian community? Because it'd be easy to say, yeah, let's point out politics. Let's point out the ways. And and I think, you know, Christians who are concerned absolutely should be doing this through politics as well. But since it is a heart issue as well, what is the way forward as you've seen it in the work that you've done to help Christians move forward in this conversation? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot of ways to move forward depending on who we're talking with, right? And and again, I, I'm so encouraged that uh, a, a vast majority of gun owners um, 
and even NRA members like want to see some changes happen when it comes to to, to sensible gun laws. You know, limiting uh, the capacity that guns can sh- sh- you know shoot without reloading. Um, and uh, you know, even James Madison. It's so important. Like one of the you know the the father of the Constitution, one of the the authors of the Second Amendment. He he recognizes this dance uh, between freedom. Uh, and unregulated freedom, right? So he, like, this is a quote from James Madison. Liberty may be endangered by the abuse of liberty as well as, mm. the, abuse, as the abuse of power. I mean, so the idea that one person's freedom can begin unregulated, you know, without any kind of uh, sensible constructs, uh, like can encroach on another person's right to live. And that's why they have the words well-regulated in the second amendment. <laughs> so, right. so, I, so and, and, you know, even some of the most conservative justices have talked about that. Like the, the, the second amendment is not just a blank check for have whatever weapons you need and as many of them as you want. And, you know, nothing else to, to, you know, no kind of regulations on it. So, you know, I think about cars and we've learned a lot, like cars are not designed to kill. Right. But, but they can, right. they can, they can uh, kill people. And so we've learned lessons about how to keep people safe from them. We added seat belts. We require driver's licenses. You know, you got to register your car in some States, you, you know, you, you have, uh, um, uh, regulations on them. You, you need to pass a driving test. That's a good idea, right? There's a limit to the alcohol you can consume. There's uh, speed limits and on and on, you know, like, but when you think of, uh, and even, even things like airbags, like we've, we've evolved the technology, but you think about guns, it's, it's one of the most unevolved, um, policy issues and industries that we have. Like, I think we totally, I know that we totally have the capacity to have smart guns that operate off of fingerprint technology and other technologies that would allow only the person who owns it to shoot it. So if it's stolen or if a kid finds it in the house, uh, you know, or if somebody gets a hold of that gun that shouldn't have, like it, it, um, it keeps them from being able to use it as easily. But all of those things, like they've just been, there've been so many roadblocks from that group of kind of gun extremists. And now, you know, when I, when I speak to Christians in particular, and I think this is why it's so important that it is a spiritual issue that guns reveal some of the things that we, we really believe at the heart of our faith. And um, by that, I, I think of the scripture that, that love casteth out fear. And I think so yeah. much of what's driving our obsession with guns is a fear of other people. Even right now, mm. gun sales surge uh, in many places. It's because of this, this fear of immigrants or other people, you know? And, and so uh, there's a great study that I cite in our, our beating guns book. And it's from the, the um, uh, this study that was done to see, you know, how, reasonable our fears are. And they ended up listing a dozen things that are more likely to kill you than an immigrant or a refugee. <laughs> and, yeah. and on that list are things like swing sets. <laughs> a, a cow. A cow is more likely to kill you than a refugee. You know, um and and um and and also, you know, on that list uh, is a vending machine falling on you, you know, uh, but, but no one's walking around, you know, Coke machines like, whoa, look out, it could fall, you know, but we are being conditioned to fear and we're especially right. being conditioned to fear people who are different from us. Um, 
So I think we got to stand on that promise, you know, that love casteth out fear. And of all people, we who follow the executed and risen Jesus should be able to live without fear. No matter what happens, we believe that people rise from the dead. You know, we believe that life is more powerful than death. So I think we've got to really confront this fearlessness. And we've also got to confront this white fear and white fragility and white anxiety that comes on the back of the first black president, the Black Lives Matter movement, the changing demographics of history. And there are a lot of white folks that are really clinging for the way things that used to be, you know, like, and, and when many people say make America great again, it's very clear that they mean make America white again. So that yeah. a lot of this has to do with a, a changing demographic and the fear of those who have been the majority and held the power and been the kind of gatekeepers of society. Um, now relinquishing some of that power for a more diverse country and for a more diverse church as well. Yeah. And that, you know, I think about that whole like phrase, like, oh, I just want the good old days. (laughs) And the good old days were not really great, you know? So this whole like great again thing isn't what you're saying. It's, it may be more freedom for one person, but it's a lot less freedom for another, right? Even death for others. Yeah. You just think outside of the white dominant culture and you say, what era of American history would African-Americans like to relive? You know, like, you know, is it the the 1950s? Should we go back? Is it the 1920s when they were, you know, being lynched? Is it, you know, is it Jim Crow? Like, like what? So I think like we we have to be really particular that we, you know, really clear that we don't want to go back. We want to go forward. And some of the, you know, the battle over Confederate monuments and those things have everything to do with that history. You know, we're too, too often we've been better at honoring the people um, who were on the wrong side of our, our history when it comes to racial freedom. They've been the victimizers rather than the victims that are memorialized yeah. in the statues. So, and that gun culture is all bound up. I mean, it's almost impossible to Amer- imagine America built on stolen land with stolen labor without guns. Guns played an absolutely integral piece of how you end up building a country in, 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 in a way that, that, uh, required the uh, uh, subjugation of people and taking other right. people's land. Yeah. You know, I think, I think something's interesting and I, and I may be wrong in this, but just kind of processing some of the stuff that you've said, I think guns reveal a lot about who we are as people, you know, yeah. for one, that fear thing that you've been talking about, like it, it reveals the fact that we're afraid, we're afraid of our neighbor rather than loving our neighbor. But I think it also might reveal our desire for power and for feeling in control. And, and I, in my own reflection, you know, again, growing up with guns, having a gun, right. You put that gun in your hand and you're, even if you're just target practicing or skeet shooting or, you know, hunting or doing something, you know, not about hurting or harming other people, there comes with it this like sense of power. Yeah. Right. Like I'm in control of this thing that is a really powerful thing. And with it, I can do a lot of, I I can, you know, control a lot of situations. I can control people. I can, I feel safe because I can control. And I wonder if, you know, if guns can actually show us our problems 
when we're mm-hmm. actually thinking about holding them and going, actually what it's showing me is how little like Christ I am because of why I desire to hold this thing. Mm-hmm. That's deep, man. And I think it, it's so powerful to think of the, the, the way that technology changes who we are. Right. I mean, I even think of my phone, my, like, like, uh, you know, Google maps and all this stuff. And then when I'm using my GPS in the car, my whole, my phone went dead the other day. And I'm like, I have no idea how to get where I'm going. I'm just stuck in the wilderness, you know? Um, but I think in this, in a similar way, when we have a gun, it changes our interactions, right? It begins to change what's possible and what's not. And, and, uh, uh, something that sh- probably shouldn't feel like a crisis can end up becoming one when we we exert that kind of power to take someone's life. So, yeah, I, I think that that's why Jesus is so so crystal clear on disarming us from the sword, you know, and and teaching us the way of the cross. Uh, and, and and you know, so as we we think of like what that does to us and to our hearts, I think that's where we're we're always talking about that. As is like the guns are so important, but you know, you can get rid of every gun and people can turn a pressure cooker into a bomb. I mean, that happened in Boston, yeah. you know, like we will find ways to kill each other. And that's why it's not just about guns, but it surely is about how we can make sinful hearts even more dangerous, right? When you have one person that can sit in a hotel room and fire down on Las Vegas, like the shooter did there, like you just allow one person to do so, so much damage. And, uh, yeah. uh, Yeah. So I I think, I think, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, that, that, uh, uh, we don't have grenades, you know, just in the hands of ordinary people. (laughs) So like, do we really need AR-15s, you know? It's it's funny because I think sometimes the other side of that argument, if I'm playing devil's advocate to our conversation, is like, you know, if someone were to say about any kind of time that someone uh, – I mean, I think about like news stories you hear where it's like, you know, someone goes into a crowded area with a gun and someone else who has a gun stops that person, Right. And yeah, people yeah, yeah. make the argument, well, think of what would have happened if that person wasn't legally carrying their gun. They wouldn't have been able to stop the other one. And I mean, first off, I think, well, if neither of them had one, there wouldn't be an issue. Right. Right. Yeah. There wouldn't have been the thing. But then I also think about that in the story of Jesus. Like, do we say that about the story of Jesus? Well, if the disciples had guns, Jesus would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that, yeah, there's actually that messes up the whole point. Know? That have Jesus with a with an assault rifle, and they said if he had had this, he wouldn't have died. You know, <laughs> what in the world? Right? So, yeah. And the, the argument doesn't necessarily work when we actually think about who we're supposed to be in light of Christ. Yeah, you know, and and I think that is so hard for a lot of people because we want to make them Christian arguments, like we want to make owning a gun somehow a Christian argument, mm-hmm. and yeah. it just become self-defeating in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think you, you point out something really important with that, which is that I, I really do believe we can throw out these hypotheticals. Like what if, you know, um, and you can argue, um, with facts that guns have worked to defend people. Um, 
you know, a good guy with a gun is defended against a bad guy with a gun or whatever. But you can yeah. also argue that there are a host of other ways that we have also seen work against a person with a gun. And actually, I like the more I researched it, the more exceptional I found it to be that someone actually has a gun and uses a gun to protect from a mass shooting or someone with a gun. I mean, um, the studies overwhelmingly show that you can use mace or even a cell phone or other things to deescalate that are effective. So I think you can argue all that. But in the end, you ask a really important question, which is, which looks the most like Jesus? Um, yeah. And I think Jesus says we can give our life for someone else. A greater love is no one than this. You know, we can die for something, but we cannot kill for Christ, right? We can die for Christ, but we can't kill for Christ. And I think that's mm, where we yeah. begin. You know, you can have someone with a gun that is courageous and passionate. I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, folks that I think that's what that why they have a gun because they want to protect people. But in the end, the question is kind of like, for those of us who choose Jesus, um, how do we reconcile that cross, uh, which is saying, I'm willing to die for something with this other idea that I'm willing to kill for something. And between, you know, between the cross and the gun, you see two very different versions of power. And one says, I am willing to die. And the other says, I am willing to kill. And I just don't think that you can really hold those two truths, you know, or those two ways of thinking together. Um, yeah, man. So I, and just one more thing on this too, as, as we're thinking about the lives lost. You know, sometimes we think of these hypothetical scenarios, but the 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 shadows, the kind of the 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 things that we often don't think about with guns are things like suicide. And suicide hmm. is is uh, I, we wrote a whole chapter of the book on on suicide because it is uh, uh, a majority of our deaths from gun violence are suicides, uh, people taking their own life. Um, when we think of military service members, this was one of the things I found so tragic is their suicide rate is twice that of civilians. So almost every hour we have a military service member take their life. So we more, wow. more, more military folks are dying from their own guns than combatant guns. Like literally That's crazy. the number one cause of death of military service members is suicide. So, you know, as you, we think of the kind of whole landscape of this and why guns are so important is because they're so effective in taking your own life. You know, nine, over 90 percent, almost everybody who uh, tries to take their life with a gun ends up dying. But when you look outside of the guns, the opposite is true. Um, 90 percent of people who attempt suicide by other means survive and they go on to get help or to rethink the crisis that they're in and they don't end up dying by suicide. So, you know, I think just when we're thinking about the preciousness of life and we think, how could we try to stop? some of these hundred lives a day that are lost. We're not going to save every life, but I think that any of us who follow Jesus and care about life should say a hundred lives a day lost to guns is unacceptable. Yeah. And I think I'm, I, I would imagine that a lot of the people who listen to everyday theology you know, like to be challenged. I, you know, we have lots of conversations that are probably beyond what are typical Christian conversations on this podcast. And so one of the things that I might, I might ask here is, you know, since you've been doing this work and you've had these conversations and you've written, you know, books, you know, both on the death penalty, like we talked about last time and gun control now, 
what are some effective ways for people to have these conversations mm. that help people become aware of this being a uniquely Christian problem and discussion? Because, you know, as we talked about the facts and figures, we can throw them out all day and it, you know, eh, whatever, right? Like, or I've got my own interpretation of that stat or whatever. Yeah. But how do we have maybe fruitful conversations? That's great because I, I think the reason we wrote this book and we're having conversations like this, bro, is because we, we really need a better conversation, you know, around gun violence, um, especially. And, and so one of the things that I think is really important is to speak directly with people who have been impacted by gun violence. So this isn't just a stale debate, but we're actually yeah. thinking about the, the the folks who have lost their loved ones to suicide by gun and, and to, you know, homicide and mass shootings. Um, um, and, and that's what happened for me. Like gun violence probably wouldn't be such a fire in my bones uh, if it weren't for the, when that became personal. And I can remember yeah. specific incidents, one in particular where a 19 year old was killed on my front step. And, oh, gosh. you know, I held his hand as he was still breathing and he lost his life. Uh, the ne- he died the next day oh, and man. You know, being there with his mom and, and, uh, I'll never forget because it was right before Easter and, um, on the Friday, which we, you know, ironically often call Good Friday, the Friday that Jesus died, was killed on the cross. I was with Papito, the 19-year-old's mother, and we were reading the gospel um, of Jesus's death and the women weeping at the foot of the cross. And, um, and then she said one of the most profound things I've ever heard in my life. She said, I get it. I get it. I said, what? And she said, God knows what it feels like hmm. to lose your boy. And I yeah. just sat weeping, you know, because I mean, we're talking everyday theology, right? And I went to, I went to Princeton seminary, but I don't think I ever heard theology quite that good. You know, <laughs> it, 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 like God knows what it feels like to, to suffer to, to die, to have his God's own son die, you know, so that, that solidarity. So I think that's one of the things that we've got to think about is what does it look like that at the center of our faith is a victim of violence who died saying, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Whose despair was so agonizing that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we need to be near to those who are directly impacted um, yeah. by this. And, and, you know, I've been going around the country, especially before the pandemic and um, just listening to the stories of survivors of shootings, of survivors of folks who were killed um, by guns. And we, you know, we've, we've been inspired by the prophets, Mike and Isaiah, where they talk about beating swords into plows. And we, you know, we take yeah. donated guns and we transform them into garden tools. I'm, I'm an apprenticing blacksmith now, but you know, as we oh, do that's that, awesome. Yeah, but as we do that, I mean, it's holy work because we've had uh, folks that have taken the hammer and are beating on the metal of this gun and transforming it, and they tell their stories. And it's hard to argue with someone's pain and someone's story, right? So I I think that's one of the the things we've got to do is center those voices that have been impacted. And then maybe we can find some common ground, you know, beyond legislation. Could we say, hey – we want to see research funding 
uh, go to figure out how we can uh, have better technology, like those fingerprint technology. We want to figure out how we can um, find the irresponsible gun shops so that they're held accountable. And right now, none of that information is public. So, you know, we can't find the worst of the worst gun shops that are making money off of uh, illegal uh, gun sales, you know, where you straw buyers, where someone comes and buys guns for another person. Like that happens all the time. So we want to be able to find some of that. And then the other thing I'd say is like, maybe those of us who are on seeing differently on some of these things could find some things we agree on, you know, could, should there be a capacity limit to what guns can fire without reloading? Should there be a limit to the amount of handguns that one person can buy? Like uh, that's one of the laws that I've thought, like, uh, one of the laws that I think, think makes a lot of sense. It's called one handgun a month that would allow one person to purchase 12 handguns a year, one a month. And you go, who needs more than 12 handguns in a year? And you're like, right. that's, you know, selling handguns. So, you know, I think we can find some, some things that we agree on. So I'm really, really hopeful on this, especially when I look at the statistics too, that, you know, many gun owners want to see changes uh, that, that would allow them to have a gun for, you know, hunting and things like that, but that are going to try to uh, cut down the, the amount of lives that are lost to, to guns. And I think those are good, I mean, good practical steps in, in relation of like finding that common ground. I, I want to say about your story about the mother and son, it's it's beautiful to hear someone like talk about, you know, Moltman's understanding of the suffering of God in, in real life, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's not just a theology that is a, you know, sometimes people think theology is like this pie in the sky, like it's ethereal, no one really talks about it. But, you know, what she expressed is what Moltman argued for, you know, 60 years ago saying we need a, uh, maybe not 60, but close, we need better change, better language about God and suffering because people need to recognize that God suffers along with them. God yeah. knows they're suffering, right? Yes. Absolutely, man. And, and, you know, Oscar Romero said, some truth can only be seen through eyes that have cried. So, mm. so that idea that sometimes like our theology is not just this, you know, systemic stuff in books and on paper, but it is a lived experience that, and that's what we need to, I think, really listen to are those who are suffering deeply as Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who mourn. Um, we, we need to be near those who are hurting. And if we can't listen to those who are mourning and those who are who have been hurt by broken gun laws, by you know the lack of gun laws, the lack of just logical sense ways of protecting people, then who can we listen to? Mm. Right? I mean, who who are we going to listen to if we don't listen to the mother who is crying because their son was killed by a gun illegally purchased or given to them because we have so many you know, guns that are just floating around out there. You know, I think of gun shows that don't have to have background checks and you can go right. and just purchase a gun and you don't have to, no one has to care who that person is, right? Like, yeah. if we can't listen to people who are in pain, who can we listen to, right? I mean, personally, you know, I, I can say that I haven't had any kind of personal connection to anyone who's dealt with gun violence, but just because I haven't doesn't mean that I can't listen to someone who has. Yeah. And I think that argument that sometimes people make of saying, I've never seen anyone deal with gun violence. I've never seen that happen. It's not, it can't be that big of a deal. 
you know, we can't use our experience, my experience of not having that kind of firsthand reality, make it where I can't listen to, uh, you know, a student of mine who's, whose family member, uh, dies by suicide with the use of a gun. Yeah. Like if I can't listen to my student who's crying in my office because of an experience like that, who can I listen to? Right. Oh, it's so important, man. I mean, what you're saying is there, there's, there's a f- few things that, that, that just strike me. One of them is that, um, the statistics show almost half of Americans know someone who has been shot and that could be by suicide or by homicide, you know, but almost half of us know someone and, and there are so many lives that have been impacted. And so like, let's have, let's have soft hearts. You know, we kind of talk about when we're at the forge, the, the fire of the forge softens the metal so that it can be molded. Um, and uh, my, my friend, you like this theology, you said maybe that's why Pharaoh's heart, it says it was hardened, right? Because he got too far from mm. the fire of God. And so I think we need those hearts that are empathetic and, pa- and compassionate. And, and we also need to see outside of our own purview, right? And try to uh, think of, of life, through, especially those of us that are white. I'm white. And um, I... I so many of the lives that I know have been disproportionately affected by gun violence are African-Americans. Like I said that, you know, African-American kids are 10 times more likely than white kids to die by gun violence. Wow. So, you know, if we care about the, the impact of 400 years of racism um, and inequality, like we should care about this, you know, we don't need to wait until it impacts you know, kids in, uh, our, or fam- people in our own lives. We don't need to wait for Sandy Hook, which was, you know, mostly white kids that were killed and the whole country said never again. And yet we've let it happen again and again. And every one of those kids that was killed in Sandy Hook is precious. And so is every kid that's killed on a street corner in, in my neighborhood in Kensington, right? Like the, the, every single one of these lives matter. And one doesn't matter any more or any less than another one. Uh, and so when we think of the mass shootings, that's often what people think of, but that's like 1%, uh, less than 1% of the, the gun deaths that, that are taking lives every day. And it's horrific too when we hear of people who, you know, talk about the Sandy Hook experience and tragedy and they go, oh, it was just a conspiracy to take away my guns. You know, the the it was all set up. So people could impose new gun laws, which so saddenly I heard like multiple Christians say that exact thing Mm. where we deny people's experiences and their stories and just say, ah, it was just a conspiracy. They're just after my guns, my things, my possessions. Right. I mean, if that's, if that's a response, I mean, to, some the loss of someone else's kids like that that, that that's n- there's no other word but but evil to that kind of you, you know way of discrediting the pain and loss of life i mean people do the same thing about 9-11 you know and i obviously right. facts matter and all that stuff but you know i i think like if we don't lead out of our solidarity 
of grief and pain than, I mean, especially those of us who are being shaped by Jesus, you know, like, like, boy, then we, we really need to do a heart check. But yeah, I, I think yeah. like, but that's what happened after Sandy Hook, you know, our whole country said never again. And yet we've let it happen again and right. again and again, right. you know, which, which shows me maybe the heart issue. Yes. The heart issue is of dealing with those who, you know, do those tragic things who commit those heinous crimes but maybe the hard issue is also with ourselves who can't actually hear those things and actually make a real change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like we always focus on the hard issue of people who aren't christians but i think as if we're really self-reflective christians we can recognize a lot of that hard issue actually exists in ourselves oh yeah that I we mean, have to boy. take care of and you see the surge in, you know, these militia groups, these armed folks that are marching on capitals. And the fact is that many of them are going to church on Sunday morning, right? Like, like this it, it, it meshing of toxic theology uh, that exchanges the cross for a gun um, is, is, is really, really not just a political crisis, but also a spiritual crisis. And I've got yeah. here on my desk, man, a um, Bible case that my, my, my friend Rob Shank gave me. He's a pastor. And he said, this is one of the top selling Bible cases in the country. And you open it up. And it's a concealed carry case. It's got a cross on the front, but it's designed uh, to carry a gun. And it's marketed to Christians who want to carry guns to church and other places on Sunday (sighs) morning. So, I mean, that's what we're up against, right? So I I think that's why, you know, this this is a a theological issue. And that's why I'm I'm so glad to be talking about it with you. Because I, you know, I, I think it's, I can talk about guns in terms of the Constitution, but for those of us that follow Jesus, we've got a higher authority than the Constitution, <laughs> you know, that, right. and that's Jesus right. in the Scripture. And uh, you know, sometimes some Christians have been more more committed to the Second Amendment than the Great Commandment. I think I think in a conversation like this, the adage becomes more apparent that bad theology kills and good theology brings life. Yes, and bad theology when it comes to guns and violence is a direct correlation to a lot of death. Yes. No one kills more passionately than they do when they, they believe that God is on their side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That statement. I, I, I think I want to leave kind of people with that statement um, to chew on because that is a, that's a, a, an indication again of that heart issue, right? Yeah. Shane, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation with me to hopefully enlighten some of our listeners to why this is such an important issue to be talking about. And we shouldn't only bring it up whenever tragedies happen, but we should actually be talking about it all the time um, until we see real change. Um, If you would let anyone know, I know you've got the book, let people know the name of the book, where they can pick it up and and how they can actually follow along with the work that you're doing, especially if they want to get involved with helping with these conversations moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So our book on uh, gun violence is called Beating Guns, Beating Guns. And you can find it uh, really pretty much anywhere books are sold. Um, but folks can find it on our website, which is redletterchristians.org. 
and you can follow me on social media and everything. And by the way, if you want to donate guns, we uh, have a network all over the country that is committed to decommissioning weapons um, and guns. So, uh, and we're transforming them into garden tools and other things. So you can find more about that at Raw Tools, which is war flip backwards, rawtools.org. That's amazing. Shane, thanks so much for being with me and hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Let's keep the conversation going. Appreciate you. 